Okay, we are continuing on the chronological life of Jesus. We are in Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, and the point that we're up to now, it's an interesting point, we are more than a year into his public ministry. We have been introduced to six of the disciples that he would ultimately choose as apostles, but we've not been introduced to the other ones. And now, after over a year of public ministry, he is now choosing the twelve. So we've been introduced to six of the twelve. They were called disciples before, but now they are being deemed as apostles. He is setting them apart. So this is in Luke chapter 6, reading from verse 12. It was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose twelve of them, whom he also named as apostles. Simon, who was also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, let me mention that there are four records of the, the, uh, the entire list of the twelve. And what we'll do is we'll first look today at the twelve uh, apostles, look, just, just see a little bit about them, and then we'll, we'll, we'll turn it around and see their lives and then bring it back to us. How does this affect us today? The other records of, of, of the apostles, we're only going to read one of the other three, and that's of, in, Ma, in Mark chapter 3, because it, it, it expresses a little bit more in Mark chapter 3. So in Mark chapter 3, reading from verse 13. And he went up onto the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him. That's Mark chapter 3, verse 13. And he appointed twelve so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach, and to have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. To them he gave the name Bonerges, which means sons of thunder, and Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So what we have is, is we see that he watched these people for over a year. So many disciples are following him. Out of all of these disciples, he's choosing 12 to walk with him. He's watched them for over one year. And now he spends an entire night in prayer. This is good to know how to do these sort of things. How do you make big decisions? How do you... Make decisions like this. So what you do is you interview these people. You want to make a hire, you interview the person. And you watch them. You get information that you can amass about them, and then you pray. And that's what Jesus did. This was his hiring pattern. He watched them, he observed them, he got information on them in this way, and then he, he uh, uh, prayed. And not only that, what he does is he appoints people that are already doing the task. And this is good to do. So my, my son has gotten all these appointments at, in, in his high school. 
and he has to go through these, these interview processes, like for becoming student body president and, and these sort of positions. He says, Dad, what should I say in the interview? I said, the first thing you want to explain is that you're doing the work already. You're already doing the work of student body president. You're already reaching out to new people. You're already speaking on behalf of the student body and bringing their concerns to the administration. So a good way to hire is to hire somebody who's already doing that task rather than just picking at random some person off the street and saying, you, you're going to be the manager. No, you look at who the managerial skills are being deemed in and how they're acting as a leader and a manager, and then you appoint them formally to that position. So Jesus observes, and then he also couples this with prayer. So if you ever want to be put in some leadership role in your company, act like a leader. You know, don't, don't be sitting around the, uh, standing around the, the water cooler and complaining with everybody else. Act like a leader. Change the conversation. Act like a leader, and you'll be put in a position of leadership. So he chooses 12. And, and uh, um, why did he choose these 12? Why at this time? It says in, in Mark. In, in, in Mark it says, he appointed 12 so that they would be with him. So many people were coming and going, but these 12 were going to be with him now 24-7. They were going to be with him all the time. Why else? And that he could send them out to preach. He wanted a group of people that he was going to send out to preach. There was, there's going to be a time where he's going to send out 70 to preach, but this was a particular group that was going to do more preaching than any other group. He wanted them so that he could send them out to preach. Also in verse 15 of Mark chapter 3, and to have authority to cast out demons. So he gave to these 12 authority to cast out demons. Judas Iscariot, who ultimately betrayed him, had authority to preach and to cast out demons. And then, and then it says, um, and he appointed the, t- and, and then he went on and appointed the twelve. So it was to preach, and the power was given to them to to cast out demons. So they had this this sort of power. It says in other places that the, they also had the power to heal sicknesses. So this sort of of uh, 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 power was given to this this particular group of twelve. In, at this instance, he gave them this power. So let's look in more detail at the twelve disciples. So the first one always to be named is Simon. Simon is, the, is his Hebrew name. In, in fact, in Hebrew it's called Shimon. You may have heard uh, Israeli leader Shimon Perez, for example. That's Simon. That's the Hebrew name. Then there's Cephas, he's called it sometimes. That's his Aramaic name. And then there's Peter, which is his name in Greek. So these people, unlike, say, us in the United States, they were more like people in Switzerland who speak multiple languages in that one country. You go to Switzerland and people will move in and out of multiple languages just so freely. Even, even you know, some person on the street directing traffic, you can go and speak to them in English, you can go and speak to them in, in, in Swiss, you can go and speak to them in German. I mean, they just move in and out. And many times you can speak to them in French as well. These people spoke multiple, multiple languages and they had different names in different languages their names were called. The second one is Andrew which in Hebrew his name is Andri. He was a brother to, to Simon Peter. Then uh, the, the number three and four disciples that are, that are generally named, uh, they were sons of Zebedee and Salome. Uh, Salome is spoken about a, a lot in the scriptures. Uh, Salome means, uh, uh, in Hebrew, it's pronounced Shulamite. 
you will remember sometimes in the Old Testament there was the Shulamite woman. That's, that's, uh, uh, in the New Testament, that's the name that's given is, is Salome. Uh, so Zebedee and Salome had two sons. Their names were John and James. So John is the anglicized form of Jokanan, which is, means Jehovah is gracious. And then there's James, which is the anglicized form of Jacob. Uh, uh, so we, so in, as that name's been anglicized, it's been changed heavily to, uh, from Jacob, which is what, what it is in Hebrew. It's Jacob, which is really Yaakov, and in Greek it's Jacobus. Now these two sons, James and John, were called sons of thunder. So why did Jesus call them sons of thunder? Well, they were pretty rambunctious, as we're going to see. Uh, uh, the, these two sons, and, and the, these, these two brothers. And very often in that day, people were often named according to habits that they had. And when I was growing up, that was much more common about a, a certain look that they had or about a certain uh, uh, attitude that they had. Uh, uh, people would often call them that and that would become their name. So, so uh, uh, if, if, if people, for example, if somebody was, was uh, tall, they might be called stretch. And that was their name, and that's what they were called. And so, again, in our politically correct day, that's mean, and that's going to hurt somebody's feelings, so nobody can say anything like that. But when I was a child, this was normal. This was normal to do this. There were men. There were men that all we called them was gimpy, and they had, they had a bad leg, and they were called gimpy. And, and you know, that, that's just the way it was, and it wasn't an offensive thing. Maybe somebody's feeling was hurt, but it didn't matter. But in that day, you, you see these same sort of characteristics. Uh, uh, the fifth one is Philip. Philip means lover of horses. The sixth one is Nathaniel, sometimes called Bartholomew. That's the same person. But Bartholomew is really a title. It's the Hellenized title for Arama- Aramaic, which is Bar Talmud, or son of the Talmud, some, son of Talmud, or son of Talmai. The seventh is Thomas, which is the Hebrew name, and Didymus, which is his Greek name. So sometimes you'll even see him called Thomas Didymus, uh, which means twin. So in other words, that name means twin. So he had a twin somewhere. We don't know if it was a twin brother or a twin sister. That twin was not among the twelve. Uh, the next one was Matthew, which means gift of God, but also uh, he's called Levi, the son of Alphaeus. We've seen Matthew before. Uh, so he's Levi, the son of Alphaeus. Then there's James, again, that's Yaakov, which is the son of Alphaeus. This is a different Alphaeus than, the, than, than uh, of Matthew. Uh, Alphaeus turned out to be a really common name in Hebrew at the time, which is really Halfi. And then number 10 is Judas, which is the Hellenized form of Judah, uh, also called Thaddeus in Hebrew, or Tadai. Uh, so Judas and Thaddeus were the same. This is not the Judas that betrayed Jesus. This was a different Judas. Then there was another Simon among the group. And so they distinguished him from Simon Peter. He was often called Simon the Zealite or Simon the Canaanite. So the Zealite, the, uh, Simon the Zealot. The Zealots were a sect of Pharisaism that believed in active resistance against Rome, whereas most Pharisees believed in passive resistance. Sometimes he was referred to as Simon the, the Canaanian. That was a different Simon than Simon Peter. And then lastly, we have Judas Iscariot. Iscariot is not a name. Judas was his name. Iscariot means Ishkarioth, means from the town of Kerioth. 
Kiriath, you can go see Kiriath today in Israel. It's on the southern part of Judah, just by where Edom started, right, right, right near uh, um, uh, Arabia. So, Saudi Arabia, near, near where that is. But th- that makes up the twelve. There's very few references to Jesus in early in, in, in Jewish writings of that day, but there are some references to him. There's a particular reference where it references some of his uh, disciples of Jesus were put to death, and that's in the, uh, uh, the Tractate Sanhedrin 43.1, and it n- names five disciples of Jesus which were put to death on a particular occasion. Two of them turned out to be among these twelve, and that was Matthew and Thaddeus, Thaddeus who were called Matthai and Todah. So, uh, and now some people will say Jesus chose twelve disciples, one from each tribe, and that can't be true. That cannot be right, because among these twelve, there were, there were uh, three pairs of brothers. Three pairs of brothers. So there was Simon and, uh, and Andrew, whose father was John, their father was John. So you had Simon and Andrew. You had James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And then you also had James and Judas, not the bad Judas, the other Judas. So there were three sets of brothers. So there could not have been a choosing from, from one of each, each, uh, each, each tribe. Now, it's interesting, that, so there's four lists, four times in the Bible, three in the Gospels, and once in the book of Acts, where it lists all the disciples. But the one in the book of Acts the, the, that lists them, it only lists 11 of them there at the beginning, because listed as the first one. Peter was also always the first, and then numbers two through four were scrambled between the four, the four lists. So it's as if there were three groups of four, each one of those groups having a leader. So Simon Peter was always listed first, and then numbers 2, 3, and 4 will be scrambled between the particular lists. Then you had Philip, number 5, and then 6, 7, and 8 were scrambled between the different lists. And then you had James, the son of Alphaeus, and then 10 and 11 were scrambled. And then always Judas Iscariot, because of his actions, were listed last. So it's as if there were three groups of four, each one of those... uh, Groups having a leader in them, just by the way you see them listed. Okay, so that's, that's a lot of real details on these guys. Now, now let, let's start to consider some of their lives. Now, now you, you may think, why choose these twelve? What is it that, that, that causes Jesus to choose these twelve? What is the thing that causes distinctions in the Bible? Why does God choose some and not others for particular things? And let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we'll see something about why we were chosen. And, and, and it's probably something in the same thing as to why they were chosen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, and not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. God has chosen the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God, but by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So the scriptures tell us that the reason why particular people were chosen to become believers is because we are not the strong of the world. We are the weak of the world. 
for, consider your calling, brethren, that there are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. God chooses actually the very ordinary. God chooses the base things of the world. God chooses the weak things of the world. That he might nullify the things that are. You know, there are occasions that we see in the Old Testament where God has chosen really mighty men who were mighty men even before they were chosen. And, and uh, so, for example, Jehu. Jehu was a mighty warrior. God chose Jehu as a mighty warrior and had him go and deal with Jezebel. Had him go and deal with these, 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 these men of Baal. And he mightily did that. It was no fear. I mean, everybody was afraid of Jezebel. He wasn't. He just went riding in there. He looked up at her and he said, Who is with me? Who? Of all of her, her attendants. Because he knew, they knew that Jehu meant business. And if they had said, oh no, we're on her side, they were going to die who? Die as well. And so right away they said, Jehu, we're on your side. They, he said, okay, throw her down off the ledge. And they threw her down and he trampled her with her horse, his horses. But if you look at Jehu's life, here was a man that was already quite established and he was uncontrollable. Now he became leader of, uh, he became king and it was said that uh, God would bless him if he would follow, but he readily fell away. So those who are sometimes strongest have a really hard time walking with God. You take a shepherd boy who is just a shepherd, who comes from the smallest group of people, and, and, and just, just a shepherd boy, and you make him king, it's very different. When you take from the small and you bring them up, it very often is easier to keep control of them than when you take the strong and try to put them in a certain position. God often takes the weak of the world. That is the characteristic, and we see great weakness in these disciples. There wasn't among them anyone who was particularly strong, anyone who was particularly devoted. They will all forsake Him. And so you see, it says, consider your calling. That means you. There are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things of the world to shame the strong, and, and the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not so that he might nullify the things of our, that are. God has chosen us particularly because of our weakness. This is one of the particular characteristics that he looks for in saving our souls. He looking for weakness because, why? So that no man may boast before God, but by His doing you are in Christ Jesus. So that you recognize from where you came and you realize, had it not been for God, my life would be an utter mess. This is the characteristic that is, it is easier for God to work with an individual like that than for God to work with an individual that thinks, wow, God got a real blessing by getting me. You know, that's a difficult individual to work with. It says God has chosen the foolish things, the base things, the weak things. And if you look among believers, you know, very often you see these, these, the weakness. You, know, you look, for example, at, at guys in the special forces. You know, the Navy SEALs, the Green Berets. I mean, sometimes you see such strength, such courage. Generally, you don't see that in the body of Christ. Now, those men might indeed get saved. They might indeed get saved. But in the body of Christ at large, you see 
you don't see, you know, just all Navy SEALs. Or all Green Berets. You don't see that. Or all women that are CEOs of companies that are just, just solid rocks. That don't tear up just because, you know, they get scolded in a board meeting. You know, you don't normally see that in the body of Christ. You see much more common folks. This is what God chooses. Why? Because it will bring more glory to God by taking the foolish things of the world and confounding the wise. So this is part of why God probably chose them. Those who are chosen will be persecuted. That's what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. It says, all who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. That's 2 Timothy 3.12. All who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. You want to walk godly in Christ, you will be persecuted. If you want to keep quiet who you are in Christ, if you want to keep quiet about who you are in Christ, you won't be persecuted. Nobody will persecute you if they don't know if you, that you're a believer. But all who desire to walk godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So among these twelve, there is persecution that comes. He told them, Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely on account of me. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is what he told them in, in Matthew. And then he says, But woe to you, woe to you, if all men speak well of you. For so they spoke of the false prophets who were before you. So, you see that, that he chooses these twelve. He probably chose them because they represent not the greatness of the world, but the weakness of the world. We know one of them was a tax gatherer. You know, the despised of the world. We know that several of them were fishermen. Uh, uh, there were not many great among them. It turns out that John, John's family, the, John who wrote the Gospel according to John, his family actually was, was quite familiar with the, uh, the high priest family. So he may have come from a little bit higher class family than some of the others. He was the one that was from Jerusalem. He was the one who was able to get... get uh, uh, um, Peter into the compound uh, uh, because he was familiar with the high priest's family. But all of them are going to suffer because of their faith. Alright, so there is though a promised reward for walking with him. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 29, Matthew chapter 19, verse 29, you see this promise. It says, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or father or mother or children or farms for my sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. That same passage is in Mark 10.28. And in that it says, they will receive in this life, they will receive in this life many times over and then re receive things in life eternal. So if your family has rejected you because of your faith, you will see that you have access to a church family that is much broader than your own family. And people who have been rejected by, from their own families because of their faith, they see in the body of Christ that there is this tremendous fellowship in the body of Christ. Many believers has, have experienced this very thing, that when they are going through hardship, very often beyond even their own family, the body of Christ will come to their aid. They will see this. And Jesus said, you will receive many times over, even in this life, 
and in the, in the age to come, eternal life. So there are persecutions, but there are also blessings. This is what he promised the disciples. And it was the disciples who said, we've left everything to follow you, as if they've done a lot. And Jesus said, let me tell you something. You're going to get a whole lot more in this life and in the age to come because of your following me. You make a choice to follow Jesus, he will bless your work. I was even speaking to my, I always speak every Sunday morning, I speak to my parents on the phone, so I, I call them, actually they call me, and we talk for about 30 minutes every Sunday morning. And why Sunday morning? Because it's the only time that they're sure to get me. And so we have this, this time set aside, 7 a.m. Sunday morning, I speak with my parents. And uh, uh, you know, we, we were talking about different things and different things that I have going, and my mother said, I cannot believe where you've come. And, and I said, you know, I, I feel the same way because things always in school came much harder to me. My sister was so smart. She was the one who always got the perfect grades on the SATs. You know, the uh, perfect grade on PSATs, perfect grade on SATs. She was one of those few in a C that was, was perfect in everything, A-plus in everything. And, and she's done very well in life. And, uh, uh, but she, she was just a star, an absolute star. My brother was one of these guys that never had to work very hard and did well. He always had A's or A-minuses, and he never had to do any work. That was my brother. And then there was me. And it was always a struggle for me. Everything was a struggle for me. I had to work harder than everybody else. It was a struggle for me. School was a struggle for me. And, uh, uh, you, you know, if my son Ben were to get a B, he would be devastated. When I was in, in school, if I got a B, I was happy. I thought that was really good. I thought C is average, B is good. And, and, uh, and, and that's, that's in a time when there wasn't as much great inflation as there is now. But, but, um, but also, it was very difficult for me. Things didn't start turning around until I came to know the Lord as a freshman in college. It was amazing what happened as I started to pray and give my life to the Lord how I just excelled and just started passing everybody shortly after I gave my life to the Lord. Even my mother could recognize that something happened to me. And so, so you, you see that you follow Jesus and you will be blessed. Blessing is there. Jesus guarantees it in this life and in the age to come. You say, well, what about all those people were, that were martyred? Well, what about it? They are going to suffer persecution. And up until that point, they are greatly blessed, and now they've died, and then they have life ever, ever, everlasting with Him. This happens. Jesus promises us this. The Word of God tells us, all who desire to walk godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. <clears throat> so, the apostles failed Jesus. Some people think the apostles were, were just such amazing people. No, they failed Jesus. If you look in, in, in Mark Look in Mark chapter 14, verse 50. A very simple verse. I mean, this verse you could memorize in, in 30 seconds and never forget it. Mark chapter 14, verse 50. Very, very simple verse that, that, that you, you, could, you, could, uh, you could reflect upon. Mark chapter 14, verse 50 says, And they all left him and fled. That's it. They all left him and fled, every one of them. And just before that, they were all making promises. Jesus talked about the things that he was going to experience. And, and uh, uh, Peter said, I'd never, let, I'd never desert you. And it says all the others agreed with him as well. So all twelve ag agreed with him. Now Judas had gone 
gone uh, uh, to deceive, to, to, uh, in deception, to turn Jesus in, and all the other ones went and they promised and swore their allegiance to him to the end. And then it says, all left him and fled. Every one of the disciples left Jesus and fled. All of them did. So they all failed Jesus. They all fled. And not just in this last instance. I mean, have you ever done something and regretted what you said? Has that ever happened to you? You've said something and you wished you hadn't have said that. Hadn't said that. This happens to me all the time. I mean, this is like the story of my life. The story of my life is going to people and asking for forgiveness for all the things that I've done wrong and the things that I've said wrong. But the apostles did this all the time too. So if you look in, in, in Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16, you know, Jesus says something really interesting to, to, to Peter. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 23, Jesus says to Peter, But he turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you're not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Now remember who is saying this to Peter. Can you imagine Jesus Christ himself appearing to you and calling you Satan? I mean, that's really getting in trouble. So that's Matthew chapter 16, verse 23. Now, what what did Peter say that was so bad. Well, look in verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. So Jesus had just said, I'm about to suffer many things. And Peter said, God forbid, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are putting, uh, you're looking not at, your, at, at God's interests, you're looking at your own interests. I mean, Peter really, imagine how Peter felt after this. Do you think Peter said, oh, well, (laughs) just walked away? I mean, the guy must have been devastated. Can you imagine the Lord himself calling you Satan? I mean, so if you have said things that have not been the most spiritual things, even in situations that, you you know, at least in front of Jesus, you're supposed to act pretty good, right? And this guy said this to Jesus. And Jesus said this back to him. This is what happened. And then, and then, uh, in Luke chapter chapter nine, verse 15, in Luke chapter nine, what's happening is is Jesus is passing through Samaria. The Samaritans don't greet Jesus because he's walking with his face toward Jerusalem. Remember, anybody could leave Jerusalem; they could pass through Samaria. It was fine, but to go toward Jerusalem, they sometimes killed you. They sometimes made you walk in another direction. They didn't like anybody going toward Jerusalem. He had already ministered to the Samaritans. And still they wouldn't welcome him. And so James and John, the sons of thunder, say, do you want us to call down fire to consume them? Because they won't let you pass through. And Jesus said, Jesus rebuked them, and he said, you do not know what spirit you are of. I mean, these men wanted to call down fire to you know, kill the people that were opposing their Lord. And Jesus rebuked them. And he said, you don't even know what kind of spirit you are of. I mean, so that's essentially saying, you're walking according to the ways of Satan. So, failure, failure is demonstrated in the apostles. In the apostles, where Jesus has to rebuke them. Jesus even said to the apostles, when the Son of Man returns, will I even find faith on earth? Will there even be faith on earth? 
You know, so he so questions whether they're even going to hold their faith. So the apostles, and, and so, uh, um, so, so, so the apostles um, are failing also each other. The apostles fail each other. And you would think, oh, well, you know, you're only quoting things from before Jesus rose from the dead. After he rose from the dead, they got the Holy Spirit, and then they were perfect men. No, not so. They also had problems. So if you see in, in Galatians chapter 2, I mean, you see this huge failure and the huge hypocrisy of Peter. This is long after the resurrection, long after the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 2, uh, what, what, this is an instance where Peter is visiting the church, this church in Antioch. The church in Antioch was Paul's church. Uh, so this, this was way up, uh, uh, this was above Israel, so this is the church that had sent out Paul. And, Jesus, and Peter is visiting that church, and what does Peter do? Peter doesn't sit with the Gentiles to eat. He only sits with the Jewish believers. He doesn't sit with the Gentiles. You say, well, why? Because he was being a hypocrite. Because he, he wanted to sit with the Jewish people. He didn't want to get grief from them, so he wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. And Paul confronts him on this. So in, in, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined, joined him in hypocrisy, and with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, In the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? So, what he did is he confronted. So, James, who was the leader of the Jerusalem church, had sent some representatives off, and Peter didn't want to see these Jews didn't want these Jews to see him eating with Gentile believers. These are people in the church, so he only ate with Jews. And so there was such hypocrisy, there was this division where Jews were eating with Jews and Gentiles with Gentiles. Can you imagine doing that in the church today? That would be like um, all Hispanics sit in one section of the church and eat, and all non-Hispanics eat in the other section. You'd say there's a problem in that church, right? That church had a problem. So just because churches have problems doesn't mean you abandon the church. You just... Correct it. So, Paul confronts Peter right to his face, openly. He doesn't call him aside and say, Hey, Peter, you're being a hypocrite. In front of everybody, he stands up and he says, You are a hypocrite. Why does he do this so publicly? It says, Because those who are higher position, they get publicly approved, uh, 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 reproved. So, this is what he did. There was public reproval. So, apostles failed each other. The apostles were failed by others as well. You know, very often in, in the books, at the end of, of, of books, you'll hear Paul write about the people who were with him. And so, for example, he says, and Demas sends his regards, and Demas is with, with me. But eventually, even Demas abandoned Paul. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, it says, Demas, having loved the present world, has deserted me. So here Paul, the apostle, was deserted by others. Others failed the apostles. Demas, having loved this present world, has left me. So you see that, that if somebody leaves you, 
If somebody deserts you, you're not alone. People deserted the apostles. The apostles deserted Jesus on the cross. Yeah, they came back. They came back eventually after he rose from the dead. The only one to come back to the cross when he was being crucified was John. That was the only one to return, was John. And John was the only one who didn't, uh, who didn't die, die an unnatural death. All the other 11, church history tells us, died an unnatural death. They were all killed for their faith. John, the one who returned to the feet of Jesus, didn't have to again show himself in this. And God felt well to have him not die uh, 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 an unnatural death. He died a natural death on the island of Patmos after he was banished to the island of Patmos. So you see that they all deserted him. Yes, they came back, but Demas deserted, deserted Paul. Now, we fail Jesus as well. We fail him. Uh, so like in, in Luke chapter 18, verse 8, is where Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? So if you feel that, oh, I failed Jesus, well, welcome to the club. We have all failed Jesus. So don't beat yourself up so much and think, oh, I could never be a believer because I have failed him. I have told God a hundred times, I am sorry, I repent, and then I went back and I did the same thing. Well, welcome to my world. This is the story of my life. This is what life often is about. This happens in life. We fail Jesus. The apostles fail Jesus. And people will fail you. People will fail you. This will happen. And so don't think, what's going on with my life? Or how evil that person is. They failed me. No. Just as you have failed others, people will fail you. Let me read this one final portion. This is from from Charles Spurgeon. Again, remember this great great preacher. And he's talking about when people fail us. And he says, uh, Be not surprised when friends fail you. It is a failing world. Never count upon immutability in man. In inconsistency you may reckon upon without fear of disappointment. The disciples of Jesus forsook him. Be not amazed if your adherents wander away to other teachers. As they were not your all when with you, all is not gone from you with their departure. Serve God with all your might while the candle is burning. And then when it goes out for a season, you will have the less to regret. Be content to be nothing, for that is what you are. When your own emptiness is painfully forced upon your consciousness, chide yourself that you ever dreamed of being full, except in the Lord. Set small store by present rewards. Be grateful for earnests by the way, but look for the recompense of joy hereafter. So, you know, he says people will fail you. People will desert you. You know, sometimes you will meet, you know, I have met, for example, women who feel that their husbands just never can do enough for them. No matter what the husband does, they are never content. Because a man will never fully meet a woman's needs. Never. Cannot. They will fail a woman. Only God can meet a person's need. A man can never be fully fulfilled with a woman. Cannot be. Our fulfillment comes from God. Anybody, anybody will disappoint you. A spouse will disappoint you. Just hear me in this. When you are disappointed in marriage, when you get married and you say, I didn't know she was like this. Huh. Well, let me tell you something. You're not alone. 
Your spouse will always disappoint you, will never fulfill you. And if you seek your fulfillment in a spouse, you will forever be miserable because you will always feel disappointed. Only God will be your fulfillment. Only He can fulfill you. And when you are fulfilled by God, you can have right expectations in a spouse. God is our fulfillment. Only He will not fail you. And there will be times when you feel that He has utterly failed you. When some great love in your life is lost, you will feel that He has failed you. He has not. He is still there. Only Jesus, only God can fulfill you. And in that you can hope. But people that you disciple, people that you teach will leave you, people that you pour your life into will just leave you. I mean, it happens to us all the time. I mean, Shereen and I will pour our lives into some young person and, and just, you know, things are going so well and then just all of a sudden, boom, they disappear. No goodbye, nothing, nothing. And, you know, they'll go off somewhere and, and, and I'll meet them and say, we just were concerned, you are right, you haven't been around. They go, oh, well, I never felt the need to say anything because I never felt as if I left. Oh, you just stopped coming for a year. And you're not, they're not, so you, you know, this will happen to you. You will pour your life into somebody, and they will just leave. Happens all the time. It is a failing world. Just as they left Jesus, they will leave you. Just as the, just as you fail Jesus, people will fail you. This is what the world is about. But God chooses us because we are the weak things of the world, and He's going to confound the wise through us. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word, for the truth of Your Word, that in the midst of our failures, You love us. Father, thank You. O wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin and death? Thanks be to God, in Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank You, Father, for Your mercies. Lord, I pray for these young people that they would have right expectations of themselves, of, their, of themselves in the walk with you, and also of others. Father, give them right expectations, lest they be overwhelmed. Father, thank you for your mercies. In the name of Jesus. Amen.